0: What, what episode is this, Wexelman?
1: Oh, we're in the 40s.
0: <laughs> you don't know the answer. This part's going to be in the podcast. What episode? 47, Tom Glavin 47. Is uh, is that what it is? Can
1: you stall while I look it up?
0: Hi there, folks. My name is Darren Sutton. I'm the host of the Amateur Hour podcast alongside my co-host and producer, Danny Wexelman. I'm not the co-producer. She is the producer. I'm just the co-host each and every week we bring you this podcast and we do so in order to get to know the very best of college baseball amateur hour it's a kitschy name it works well for the gear it's another part of this show that I had nothing to do with it was the brainchild of Danny Wexelman as we bring you show number (laughs) uh
1: (laughs) wait hold on 42 it is 42 Jackie Robinson
0: Episode 42, the Jackie Robinson episode, it's a good one. And it's a really good one. Danny produced another great show and we go different directions here. Again, we find ourselves always getting to know this year, draft year, and we knew it would happen. We knew it would come to fruition. Every episode we roll out feels like over the last six months, you were a COVID kid. You were a COVID kid. You were a high school draft. You were a COVID kid. You didn't get drafted because of it. So what what we've learned is this whole wave this draft now maybe some of the high high school picks are different but this whole draft are all COVID kids that all took advantage of college baseball and their lives are about to change nigel belgrave is a is a redshirt sophomore and he's an interesting player because his numbers aren't spectacular but his arm is and his mind really is and the way not only he and we always talk about analytics danny in baseball he analyzes himself And his soul and his mind and his approach and his ability to cope. He's a very modern athlete, a very modern baseball player. He's going to be picked, I mean, if you're gonna look at boards somewhere around the fifth round plus, but that's still life changing and that's still an opportunity that he's worked his way there. He's at Maryland, Nigel Belgrave, hard throwing reliever. Maybe he goes higher than that.
1: Okay, a couple things I like about this guy. Number one is anytime I think you get a kid from the Northeast, or the North when they're fighting to play baseball in the colder weather months, I just have a little more respect for these guys for what they have to go through. And this is also a guy who's dealt with so many injuries in high school. He talks about those injuries yeah. in college. He's dealt with his injuries. And so where he's at now is maybe a little behind because of those injuries. But you said it, the velo is not behind and he's figured out a way to make some changes, make some adjustments. This dude is so positive. He played in the Cape League. They won last season in 2022. The Bourne Braves like had this incredible experience and has poured his heart into this game. And on top of everything, is going to do something that no one in his family has ever, ever done in college. And we'll leave it at that. But I, I just think he's a r- really cool kid. And he shared his story and, and shared some tough moments that he's had. And I- I'm just a fan, but... I think what he's doing is, is growing his stock. Even if the numbers aren't going to jump off the page, I think that he's going to impress a big league club.
0: Spoiler alert, he's going to graduate college. Sorry, <laughs> ruined your tease. Yankee <laughs> Candle, mom works for Yankee Candle. Mom Arlene, like he, he will he will debut and show. He You could just sense he was in the light. <laughs> Go ahead and watch on Perfect Game TV or on YouTube. Watch the interview too, because if you're just listening... He was in the glow of a candle. What a wonderful Yankee candle commercial it was. And uh, Nigel is awesome. And by the way, if you want to know how I know they won in the Cape, I don't know my Cape League champions every year like I should. You probably knew Born won last year. That was probably into your cranium. Um, I actually went to mom's Instagram to see more about Yankee Candle. And there was a picture of son with trophy right there. That's how I knew. Went to mom's Instagram page. Auburn Mass, Nigel Belgrave, going to be a draft pick. As will Nolan Shanuel. So Nolan in mock drafts goes 23rd overall in the most recent perfect game mock draft to the Guardians. 23rd overall. That means Nolan has played his way into the first round. His numbers, as we have this conversation, they'll change because they play all the time in a podcast. You might be listening to this in December of 2025, for all we know. (laughs) But the bottom line is... Nolan Chanuel is laughable. An on base percentage of 6'10 as we have this conversation. 52 walks, 14 strikeouts, 17 home runs. Here's another COVID kid, but what makes him a little freaky, whereas you had to have Belgrave redshirt, which makes sense. Redshirting makes sense if you lost your senior year. Nolan lost his senior year and then was a freshman All American. Like, this is a crazy hitter. It's a great conversation, another good get-by-you. And a lot of you, I guarantee you, don't know who he is. He's going to be a first-rounder.
1: Yeah, they don't know because, once again, it just goes to show you, you can play at any school. We will find you. If you are a good ball player, we will find you. The numbers are so gaudy. This dude gets (laughs) on base. The walks that he takes, he never strikes out. His approach is a master class in the box. He grew up 20 minutes from FAU. This was his dream. This is what he wanted to do. And also on top of the, the offense, which we gush about, he was like a top 10 outfielder. Coming into school, now he plays first base. So master class in the box, master class in being malleable and and going to where your team needs and where your coach. Did you like that word? Good word, right? I know ten dollar word. Oh my
0: god, good
1: word. I know, I know. I just get smarter by the week. You don't even know it, but I I I'm a huge fan of this kid, and he was so like. The interview was great. I didn't know what to expect. I've never talked to him, never covered him. He was so personable, shared a lot about his approach and and maybe gave us more, right? Because you don't want to steal everyone's secrets, but he kind of gave us his secrets and I really appreciated that.
0: I won't spoil those. I won't spoil those. They were good. Hey, by the way, Craig Hozart will join us on this show, opening up his Scouts Notebook, his Focus College Baseball, the longtime High Point and very successful college baseball coach. Now heading up with Vinny Servino, all content around college baseball. He'll join us and just kind of dive into what he sees lately as a scout around college baseball. And I'll take a little bit of Perfect Game College Baseball and share it on this podcast. If you've missed it or you you have missed it through the, through the months, Hunter Pence and I host that show. It's on Perfect Game TV. If you don't have Perfect Game TV, Vizio, Roku, all those spots, uh, but also it's, it's a great app like Red Bull TV. If you've downloaded that to your phone, download Perfect Game TV to your phone, to your smart set, and do it to your smart devices. So uh, and the pizza the pizza pie is that show. A slice of it is Turney, And the reason I'm excited to share a little bit of that on this podcast, if you missed the video stream of it, is that Cole was a perfect game All-American a long time ago in 2016. And you want to talk about injuries. You know, you talked about the injuries that we have seen for Belgrave, but but Turney's shoulders have betrayed him. Like, his shoulders have been a massive struggle for him. But dude's a PG All-American, 2016. Like, we're going back quite a few years. He's 24 years old now. He played at Arkansas. He played at Houston. He played at San Jack. Well, now he's at NAIA Power Cumberland, and he hit 31 home runs this year. 31. Of his 68 regular season hits, 40 of them were extra bases. Dude needs to be a pro. He's a left-handed hitter. It's a great story. We'll give you just a little bit on this podcast, then go watch the whole interview. So that's the show. It's a good one. Episode number 42, Amateur Hour. Big words as well throughout.
1: I am so excited because every week I look at stats for NCAA baseball and I just like to look at the weird the wild the different what's happening across the country and every single week you are atop the offensive leaderboard every single week and and I type your name out and I look into it and I'm like we gotta have this guy on like it's it's time we are past due for you and so I'm just I want to dive into the numbers but I think like the most intriguing thing about you is that you're a hometown kid so you you grow up close to FAU. You go to games growing up. This is your home. This is your family. This is where you wanted to be. But let's go back to Nolan growing up with a bat in his hand for the first time. Close to, close to this school. You don't know you're going there yet. I mean, what were you like as a kid? When did you start playing ball?
2: Uh, from what I remember, my mom always tells me when I was 10 months old, they had a, a wiffle ball in my hand and we were just hitting wiffle balls in the living room. Growing up, I mean, any chance I got, I was going out playing sports, either if it was uh, baseball, basketball, football. But our our whole neighborhood, the life revolved around sports. And I I got put into t-ball at an early age, and I just loved it. And I knew I wanted to play for as long as possible, and it just stuck.
1: What's it like growing up in Boynton Beach? Like describe, paint a picture for someone who's never been there, doesn't know what the baseball culture's like mm-hmm. there. Tell us what's like.
2: Well, it's baseball in the beach, twenty four seven. I mean, if you're at the beach, you you could even be playing baseball. We would bring wiffle ball to the baseball field. We'd be playing catch on the base or on the beach. We'd be doing anything, anywhere on the beach. We're we're playing wiffle ball. We're playing football, but. Uh, the baseball life we're playing all year round summer winter fall there's no breaks and I mean I couldn't ask for anything more than that you know I mean baseball has been my life since I picked up a t-ball bat and Boyden Beach has made it even more than that
1: one more quick one D on that just on that topic At what point did you realize that you loved the game, that this was the game for you and this was the life for you?
2: Yeah, I would say middle school, I completely stopped playing other sports and I I totally put my focus on baseball Mm -hmm. and just sat down with my mom and dad and just said, hey, this is what I want to do. And I want to do it for a long time. I want to make it my profession. I want to do whatever I can to be a professional baseball player.
0: Awesome. And, and and at that point, if there's an investment from family, which there is, travel mm-hmm. ball and equipment that goes into it, Aaron and Ryan are your parents. What was the give back asked of you? If you shared with them, I think I can do this. I think I'm all in. What did they ask of you if they were going to make sacrifices to get you to all these places?
2: They said, just make sure they're comfortable when they're older. They said, make sure they have life figured out after that.
0: Good answer. I like that. That's a really good answer. So take me take me on a kind of a twelve month run, if you will, um, twelve month bender. It felt like for our globe, but for you, it wasn't. So March twenty twenty, we know what happens. But by the time February twenty twenty one came, you were a full time college baseball player. You had no high school season after mm-hmm. March twenty twenty. The the logical person would think. The baseball person would think. Well, it's acceptable. If that one year later, without a a deep dive into baseball, I'm sure in Florida you have more opportunities, but without a deep dive into baseball, you really shouldn't be a freshman All-American. That's not the expectation. Just start fitting in. Just start getting comfortable with your swing. Look ahead to the next year. But that didn't happen to you. What would you tell me happened between March 2020 and opening day, February 2021, which was followed by a freshman All-American season?
2: Yeah, uh, just... Obviously, COVID hit and it it sucked. It knocked down our senior year, didn't get to finish it. But that didn't stop my teammates or I from getting into work. And right when I got onto campus, our hitting coach, Greg Mamula knew exactly what he wanted to do with my swing and perfected it. And just little tweaks, nothing much, just kind of mindset things. And it just stuck. And ever since that, I... I've been a different ball player since high school and just a whole different approach in the box, which has helped me completely.
0: Be a little bit more descriptive on those little tweaks, if you don't mind. If uh, they're not major things, as you said, um, but be a little bit more descriptive.
2: Yeah, just my high handset more, I'm more upright. I have a little leg kick now and just it's all timing mechanism and it's, it's made so much better of a, a difference from high school and I I truly unlocked my my power in the bat.
1: What's your eyesight?
2: So I actually, this is funny because I always thought I was, I had 2010, 2010, and I go into the eye doctor and I had an astigmatism this over winter break in my right eye. So I actually, I was playing all summer, all last year with astigmatism in my right eye. So I actually got a contact for this year which i i pride and say that that's why i'm doing so well this year is the new the new eyesight
1: one so, contact just one yes
2: one contact in my right eye
1: how was that adjusting to putting it in was that tough for you
2: yeah it was definitely i mean i had days where i'm like i don't even think i see better in this like <laughs> what what am i doing i i batted 360 last year with one, with one eye and i'm like I could do it again. Like, what am I doing? And just a little adjustment of so much.
1: You talk about the approach. I asked you that because I think one of my favorite stats to look at is a uh, walk to strikeout ratio mm-hmm. and your senior season. It stood out. And every single season you've been at FAU, it, it is so gaudy and so impressive what you've done can you just bring us in the box with you and and try to explain to us regular humans how you have, just this season alone, 52 walks and only 14 strikeouts?
2: Yeah, I'm, this is a key aspect is growing up, my dad would, he would always, we get in the car after a game if I struck out, that's the worst thing you could do. And just hearing that, like, stuck with me, I'm like, I'm never striking out, like, it's, it's the worst thing ever. Like you're not even giving your chance, giving yourself a chance to get a hit. But in the box, I'm just, early on, I'm trying to hunt something up in the zone if I see it. And I don't have to get to two strikes, then it's perfect. But if later in the count, we get to two strikes, I'm in fight mode, I really widen out my stance, I, I, I cut out the leg kick, and I'm just fighting. Um, I'm still trying to do damage as much as I can, but it's more about, slapping a single or hit, uh hitting the gap instead of just hitting a 450 foot home run
1: you must be pitched around like the walks obviously you know they're being careful with you but your oh, your ops is 1500 your slug is is 900 so what does it take to find that maybe the one pitch that you're offered in and at bat
2: yeah, I—I I mean, growing up, I always described it as food. I mean, you're not—you're going up there. You don't want to eat the broccoli. You want that big juicy burger when you—that first pitch. You want that best. You want what you want. What's best on the menu? So, when I go up there, even if—even if it's just something like beef jerky, I love beef jerky, but I'll settle for it. And, I mean, I'm—I'm I'm not going to let that one on the outside corner go away early in the count. If I I think that's the best pitch I'm going to get throughout that at bat. So if I have to if I have to take it and I have to hit that one, then
0: I'll I'll do it. And so the
1: best answer I've ever
0: heard. (laughs) Do you, do you, do you have a favorite burger spot? I mean, let's get to the more important things. Do you have a favorite burger spot down there in Florida?
2: I love habit burger. It's right next to my apartment. It's really, (laughs) I mean, we go there all the time with the guys.
0: And do you have a favorite kind of jerky that that you settle for? Do you have a favorite kind? Uh, of...
2: Yeah, the teriyaki, the little the little teriyaki bites. Those are my favorite.
1: Gotta get you a brand those, deal. Yeah. those,
0: those <laughs> are perfect. Those are perfect. And will you eat broccoli, or do you literally hate broccoli? Oh,
2: I, I'll eat it, but it only with two strikes. So
0: got it, got it, got it. I, I'm actually asking literally, will yeah. you eat broccoli? <laughs> no, I would, yeah. <laughs> So, so it's interesting, um, and I tie these conversations in. Just we're lucky in our world, talking to all levels of athletes. Danny does it, I do it. Yesterday, I chatted with Zach Gallen, if you're aware of him, the pitcher for the Diamondbacks, yeah. who's really who's really good. And and what it what intrigues me about him, and I think of you, there came a point in his journey as a as a pitcher, and he was from New Jersey, where he had to trust his pitchability. In other words, he had to trust that I'm not going to throw 96. I have to trust who I am as a pitcher. I have to trust my secondary pitches. And and that kind of leads to that on-base percentage for you. At what point did you trust the fact that my hands are good enough, my eyes are good enough, especially the new ones, but my hands are good enough and my eyes are good enough that I'm going to trust the fact that I may be hitting some with two strikes. I'm not always going to be getting that burger at 3-1. Yeah. What point did you – and it's like a bridge to me you cross over, and you good ones that really trust yourselves, you come back sometimes – but you kind of stay over that bridge. You just stay on the other side of trust. And you look across the way and you see a lot of your teammates and opposing players that never truly trust themselves. Mm-hmm. At what point did you trust your hands, your eyes, to hit with two strikes? Because this approach, albeit those numbers are gaudy, that means you're doing at times what you need to do with two strikes.
2: Yeah, definitely. I mean, when uh, when I got to college, it was uh, the biggest adjustment because in high school, you're, you're down 0-2, you're still getting – a pitch right down the middle most of the time. And in college, they're way better at locating, and that's when I really focused in on I, I got to just go in fight mode. I got to, even though I'm not going to get my cookie, I still got to be able to do some damage with that outside part of the plate, that curveball that's going to hit back foot, that changeup that's going to go low in away. just kind of deal with what I have and what they, what they throw to me. So yeah, I-
0: and, and and does does having it work? Sorry, Nolan, does having it work kind of fuel that confidence meter? It's almost like when you, you plug in the modern car and you see it all the way full. Does having it work a couple of times your freshman year? Actually, like, OK, I can do this. Like, I literally just got a knock to left field over the shortstop's head on a 2-2 or 1-2 count. OK, I should trust more. Does it fuel that when you have success?
2: Yeah, definitely. I mean, I try to get it to the guys as well. Just, I mean, if, if the whole team can do uh, the two-strike approach and just kind of fight off and just even put a ball in play, it's just your, your chances of getting on base are 100% higher than if you just strike out. So I, I would say just kind of you, you got to go in fight mode. You, you put your, your butt out and you slap a single. That's way better than just letting strike three go right by. So I would say that's my biggest part of my approach with two strikes.
1: Do you get to the beach a lot these days?
2: Not during season, not as much as I'd like, but we go on off days a couple of times and kind of just, it's more of a relaxing thing. We, we we don't go surf or anything like we did in the fall, but yeah, we still go sometimes.
1: Yeah. 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 What's it like being able to start to live part of your dream? I mean, obviously you identified that really young. You knew you wanted mm-hmm. to go to FAU. You, you have absolutely demolished college baseball at least from what I can see i I haven't had a chance to cover any of your games but um, what does that feel like for you
2: I just I feel accomplished I mean obviously not yet the season's not over but yeah just i I've been chasing my dream since I was young and just knowing that it's so close it's it's satisfactory I mean I I worked for this my whole life and just knowing how close it is, is just, it's amazing. And I'm just blessed and ready for the opportunity.
0: Remember the, remember those days playing for the Florida stealth? Yes. Five, five, six, 110 pounder at a, at a PG event, a 13 u event. Yes. The Florida stealth. What, 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 what was uh, what, what was young Nolan like when he put on that Florida Stealth uniform way back when? Oh,
2: I mean everything in his mind was baseball related, and it's awesome because I actually I, I grew up with a bunch of those guys and a couple of the uh, the guys are on my team now, awesome. and we we talk about it to this day, but I was definitely a different baseball player back then, and I mean I pride myself for the strike low strikeout rate because of that kid, back. Back on the stealth days.
0: Stealth days. You're not so stealth anymore, pal. <laughs> no. You can't hide. That's not an appropriate team name for you. Hey, is your mom an educator?
2: Yes, she's a teacher.
0: What? What grade? How long? Give me Give me the deets, please, about Aaron. Yes,
2: yeah, she's. Uh, she's been a teacher for 10 years now. She teaches second grade at Morakami. It's a a lottery school. It's actually pretty close to campus in Boca Raton.
0: How, how amazing. What a cool yeah. gig that is. And I, I we had a couple of teachers we chatted with over the last few days in, in, in advance of the Mother's Day weekend, moms of players. And I almost feel like we should now thank teachers, you know, more, more, even if they're not a, the teachers of our kids. So uh, I do you, do you go in and read to the class? Have you done a presentation? She's got to be proud of her, little yeah. boy. Have you done that? No, I
2: definitely, yes, I, I, I've i gone in a couple of times, uh, not as much this year, but years prior, I go in and my sister and i will go in and just kind of read to the kids and they're amazed of how tall we are they right when you step into the room they ask you to touch the ceiling it's like they're amazed on how tall that i mean they will be soon but you get in the room and they're just like wow like that's like that's a college guy that's a that's somebody older and they're it's amazing but reading to them and just kind of playing kickball just going out play recess yes. They love it. I love kickball. Yeah. I love <laughs>
0: kickball. That's the best game. Are you good a father at kickball? of four daughters?
2: I'm all right. I mean, I try, to, I try to keep it calm, just keep it easy on the kids when we're there. Yeah. But I'll show, I'll show off a little bit when I can.
1: What were you saying, Dean? Yeah. I'm sorry.
0: No, I'm just saying, you know, don't go too easy on me. Mm-hmm. We want them to be tough like you <laughs> when they get older. Although we don't want your mom to get let go from her position. Yeah. So whatever, whatever that happy balance is. You mentioned your sister. We haven't asked about her. Well, who is she by name? And just give us a, a, a quick biography of your sis. Yeah,
2: uh, her name's Brianna. <clears throat> she used to play softball. She's uh, up at UCF now. And uh, just growing up with her actually made me the most competitive person I could be i mean we we're playing ping pong we're playing we're we're build- we're building blocks I have to build the biggest tower like just her and I would back and forth back and forth how to be the best at this, how to be the first to finish dinner, how to be the first to get home it was i mean we were we were the the biggest competitive like nature in in Florida, I would say everything we'd argue about being competitive, we'd argue about little stuff, but it made me a better person and I love her dearly for it.
1: That's so great. I think the last one I have is for, for someone who hasn't met you as a person, Nolan, like who's, who's Nolan, the person, I think we've painted a pretty good picture here, mm-hmm. but in your own words,
2: I'd say outgoing. Um, I don't like to say this because I'm talking about myself, but I, I pride myself on being funny. I got a great personality but I just, I'm, I'm very outgoing. I love, I love just constantly moving whatever I'm doing. I gotta be moving and just, I love to have a good conversation, sit down and just talk and get, and get to know people and kind of just get a feel, get a good feel for them.
1: That's amazing. Yeah. This has been awesome. Dee, are you good?
0: Yeah, Nolan, thank you, man. Well, thank you for having me. So a chance for Craig Kozar to open up his scouting notebook, better said in a modern way, his hard drive. We're now heading into conference tournaments, and uh, as you listen to this, you're you're right up against it, or it's happening, as you have found this podcast. Um, And and Craig is great. His perspective is wonderful. He is a walking – we always talk about the great scout, David Ronsley, as it pertains to, you know, the history of all scouting, all pros, seeing them back when – Um, Craig's that guy from modern-day college baseball. Throw him a team, boom, he'll talk about it. So we left it up to him. Push record, Craig. Open up your scouting notebook and share with us right now.
3: Well, college baseball fans, here we are, the last week of the regular season, and it's been an amazing season thus far with tremendous team stories like Wake Forest being ranked number one in the nation for the first time in program history, South Carolina and their resurgence not only within the SEC but on a national level, and of course, the Duke Blue Devils pushing themselves into the top 10. There's been unbelievable and special individual performances thus far, like Dylan Cruz and his 600 on-base percentage. Paul Skeens trying to push to 200 strikeouts in a single season. Rhett Lauder with a perfect 11-0 record. J.J. Weatherholt challenging Dylan Cruz for the Golden Spikes with his unique power-speed combo. And Jack Caglione, the two-way specialist with 27 home runs so far on the season. There's been other interesting storylines, and the one I wanted to focus on today are the six mid-major programs that are currently in the top 25 in the RPI. How do they do this? How do the teams such as Coastal Carolina, Indiana State, Dallas Baptist, East Carolina, Campbell, and UConn sustain this type of success in the world that we live in today with the transfer portal, name, image, likeness, money, palatial stadiums, state-of-the-art player development facilities? So how do they do this? Well, I looked at these teams closely, and the one common theme that jumped out to me was just the experience and the consistency from a head coaching standpoint. I don't think that can be uh, understated uh, or overstated, I guess, would be a better way to say it. Uh, Gary Gilmore is in, has, is in his 27th season at Coastal Carolina. Mitch Hanna's in his 10th at Indiana State. Dan Heathner's 16th season at Dallas Baptist. Cliff Godwin, who seems like he's been at East Carolina forever, is in his eighth season. Justin Hare, ninth season at Campbell. And Jim Penders in his 20th season at UConn. Plus, in addition to that, a common theme was that they had trusted associate head coaches that have been with them for a long time. Kevin Schnall is synonymous with Coastal Carolina's success in his 20th season. Brian Smiley at Indiana State has been there for 14 years Uh, Jeff Palumbo has been side-by-side with Cliff Godwin for his eight years at East Carolina. Tyler Robinson, who has done a special job with the pitching staff at Campbell, has been there for eight years. And Jeff Auergen has been at UConn for 12 seasons now. Other than that, they have deep player development staffs. They go deep. Uh, when it goes to a coaching staff standpoint, they aren't just dealing with a head coach to assistants and a volunteer. They have great player development staffs in place. And the other common theme was that it seems like they get talent in. So they do hit the transfer portal, but they aren't sending talent out. In other words, losing players to the transfer portal. So that's obviously very, very important when it comes to a mid-major program maintaining a sustained level of success. Development also, these guys do a tremendous job of developing their non-blue chip prospects. They're not often getting uh, the top 100 prospects in the nation, but they're doing a great job of developing those guys into special players. And then the last piece, and the piece that I really wanted to focus on, was the strategy and the difficulty of scheduling. Um, this is where they really make their money. Of course, you got to win games, but they're strategic in the way they go about their scheduling. All of these programs that I mentioned, Coastal, Indiana State, Dallas Baptist, East Carolina, Campbell, and UConn, all in position to obviously get at large bids in the NCAA tournament, also have a common thread in how they schedule less than 25 percent of their schedule are versus quad one teams and that's not necessarily on purpose because it's reflective of the conferences they play in but most of their quad one quad one games which are teams in the top 50 and rpi are single games they don't play three game series against top 50 rpi teams or power five programs Because why? Well, it's difficult to compete against those teams when it comes to depth on the mound. And so it's a level playing field when you play them in a single midweek game or you play them one time in a tournament. The bulk of their schedule with all these programs, almost 50% of their schedule comes from quads two and quads three. Quad two being teams 51 through 100 in RPI and quad three being teams 101 to 150 in RPI. That's where the bulk of their schedule is. And of course, most of that comes from their conference play with most of these teams having uh, conference RPI from the Sun Belt with Coastal Carolina to five all the way down to the Big South with Campbell at 16. They also crushed the non-conference segment of their schedule. They do a great job of scheduling non-conference wise. They go on the road where you can get bonus points. Uh, And especially in non-conference, they all do a great job in the midweek of scheduling. So if you look uh, across the board with these teams, Coastal Carolina has the number two non-conference strength of schedule right now in the nation. Indiana State has the number three. Dallas Baptist 37, East Carolina 12, Campbell non-conference strength of schedule 13. So they schedule hard in non-conference and most of the time that's in the midweek portion of their schedule. And last but not least, these teams are road tested. They go get those bonus points on the road. And of course, with the teams like Indiana State and UConn, they have to go south early in the season to find warm weather. But there's a definite strategy to how they schedule. And this is why you see these teams in contention, not only to host a regional, but obviously to... Easily get an at-large bid regardless of how they finish. So it's going to be a fascinating thing to watch going forward to see how these six teams that are in the top 25 of the RPI end up in the NCAA tournament. But these programs have done an amazing job and have a sustained level of winning. And you have to give their coaching staffs and player development uh, staffs a lot of credit for what they do.
0: Cole Turney's a wonderful story. Maybe could have an attitude of defeat after having multiple injuries and seeing other perfect game All-Americans from 2016 go on to pro baseball, go on to the major leagues. Instead, Cole Turney has gotten healthy. He's stuck with college baseball. He moved to the NAIA level where this year he set records. He had 31 home runs. He slugged at a ridiculous pace at 13-15. Like what he did this year is hard to describe. Cole Turney long time ago, a Perfect Game All-American now makes his way, we hope, into professional baseball through the NAIA. This is a part of Perfect Game College Baseball as seen on Perfect Game TV. A wonderful chance to reconnect. And our focus, as we said, coming on the air is the NAIA level of baseball. A unique level, certainly, because you can say, yes, it's below Division One and Division Two. You might be able to argue that second sentence when you think about the level of baseball, certainly. But it's also a place where athletes of all styles and different ages, to find themselves. I was able to do so, as I told you, in the Open, and so has Cole Turney, a perfect game All-American who's had an incredible year. As a matter of fact, I recently stumbled into a website, and I'll share it with you folks at some point. I'll put it out there where you can follow it. That put all college players into one pool, and with a new formula, does war, puts athletes together, wins above replacement, all levels, college baseball, This dude's number one in the nation. He probably doesn't know that, but he has had an incredible year. Cole Turney, perfect game All-American, and now with Cumberland at the NAIA level, joining us now in Tennessee. Cole, thanks for spending time with us. We appreciate it.
4: It's great uh, getting to talk to you again, and thanks for having me. 31 home runs
0: to end the regular season. And as the show airs, it's our hope that you're journeying deep into the postseason. But a 31 home run year in what is your final year of college, um for you what are some of the things you know over the last one year and i want to go deeper than that but over the last one year that led up to a year like this how did you prepare for this season what were some things you did why is your swing feeling as it does kind of take me to the the six months prior to a 31 home run season what that looks like
4: yeah well i I don't think you can really anticipate having a a 31 home run season uh well i mean there's, there's so much that goes into it and uh Really, this was the longest I've been able to play since about 17 years old. Longest I've been able to stay on the field. Uh, so, but you know, through the years and through you know the lessons I've learned, because uh, I'm an old college baseball player. Uh, yet, this is only my this is the longest I've played in college uh, as far as how long I'm playing the season. Uh, I don't know. I'm like 42 games in, 43. Uh, there's so much that goes into it, and it. My journey's been so crazy. It's just it's hard to explain. Uh, I haven't been able to, you know, I've been able to learn a lot, but haven't been able to directly apply it to my game because I have been on the field consistently. Uh, So this was the first year I really got to, you know, stick it out and learn lessons and, you know, kind of take what I've learned through the years, whether it be only through 50 at bats in a single year, uh, kind of just piece together these different lessons and put them together.
0: I won't focus on the body too much because uh, this isn't a medical show. But you know, just to, it, it, just give us in a nutshell um, the areas in which your body's betrayed you. You know, you—I knew you when you were high school. You worked very, very hard. Where have you had some bad luck physically?
4: Uh, really, the the big one have been my shoulders. Uh, just some freak accidents that uh, ended some seasons and uh, a couple other places. But really, the big one is. Uh, it's been the shoulders
0: and so now at 24 years old as you said you're an older college player you feel 100 percent for the first time in a long time correct
4: mm-hmm. absolutely
0: why did you choose Cumberland you went to Arkansas you went to Houston you went to San Jack you chose Cumberland at the NAIA level and this year has been an exceptional year it's your second year there mm-hmm. why did you choose Cumberland
4: it's a great question uh I've been asked that question quite a few times but uh so when I was going through the process of uh, coming into the NAI, uh, I had reached out to my coach at Sanjack and he kind of threw some schools my direction, and I, uh, you know, made some phone calls and got to know their coaches and the tradition of their programs and their history. And really, uh, after getting to know the guys at uh, here at Cumberland, I just fell in love, and it just seemed like a perfect fit for me. And really, at, at you know, going through the process, you know, for the third time, I was really looking for a good personality fit for who I was and uh and so far it's been the best decision I've ever made you know meeting some of the some of my greatest friends I want to have for my the rest of my life uh it's been a perfect fit so luckily I made you know it just made a great decision
0: I think when we have conversations like this and Nigel we're pretty thrilled you're hanging out with us by the way it's always fun to learn what you've learned if you follow me there because I think a lot of our younger listeners now will listen to what you've learned and open their eyes and minds just a little bit two things for me jump out as you're now a a pro prospect and a draft conversation guy it's 20 which messed up everything for everyone in the spring if you're a baseball player and then it's 21 it's a red shirt year you're speaking to a fellow red shirt in college who went on to pitch professionally but 20 meets 21 in those two years what are some of the big things that you learned a about yourself, and B, about your pitching.
5: What I learned the most was, like, just getting my mind right mentally, getting there. and Because, like, physically, I was always, like, kind of, like, well, I was always, like, skinnier on the skinnier side, but physically, like, my mechanics and stuff, they're always pretty good. But I would struggle, like, I'm sure a lot of people know, like, I would struggle throwing strikes. But, and, like, I was lo- always looking, like, what mechanics like what am I doing wrong like why am I doing this but then I like the mental side I talked to a couple of other guys who had deal, dealt with it in their own careers and I learned a lot from them and just believing in myself and pitching with conviction and trusting myself and I think that's the biggest like change from high school to college is that
0: so yeah Trust is such an amazing thing for you athletes. Oh, yeah. uh, I, I talked to a pitcher who pitches um, for the Diamondbacks, Zach Gallen, who, mm-hmm. yeah. you know, kind of has crossed over that bridge more so than even many of his fellow teammates in the big leagues. There are big league foes that don't trust themselves as, as, as much yeah. as he did. So when you talk, Nigel, to some of those people, you call them mentors or friends that gave you yeah. good advice, it's not one-size-fits-all. We know that as far as advice, but no, no, what, what were some of the things for you that helped you focus, clear your mind, trust yourself, some specifics?
5: So it all started, like, right before the season, actually, right before this previous season, and I was struggling in the preseason, throwing a lot of balls, and I was like, what am I doing wrong? And I was like, I think it's mental because I did – I pitched in the Cape and Bourne the past summer, And I did pretty good there, and I was like, what difference did I, like, what changed? And I was like, and then finally after one outing, it was going to throw a strike, and I was talking to my catcher, I was like, dude, like, it's just like, it was mental. Like, I was like, I was checked out in a way. And I was like, and then one of, so we had a kid last year, he's like helping out this year, and his older brother played a couple years in the minors. I call, I call him a Rob. His name's Alex Robinson, but he said how he would dealt with that in the minors, like couldn't throw strikes, like just going through it mentally. And me and him sat down and had lunch one day, and we talked about like just changing stuff through your lifestyle, not even baseball, just, just staying positive through stuff and believing in like yourself and having confidence and confidence in yourself every day. And since then, it's just been it's changed a whole lot so that for sure helps
1: would you say there's something that you do to help strengthen that muscle right you is you know you're yeah
5: um yeah yeah go ahead so like every morning I'll, i have like this affirmation that I, he wrote for me and i'll read that every morning and it's just like when i go out to the mound i have different thoughts like I'm running, running out of the bullpen. I'm thinking, like, no one's better than me. Like, I'm just going to throw this in conviction. Who cares where it goes? And I'm just going to trust my stuff. I love
1: that. Yeah. So, I mean, I think those so. things are, are really important. And what about when you get a chance mm-hmm. to get off the field? Maybe it's off season. How do you treat yourself? How do you take care of yourself when it comes to that part of your game?
5: I'm um, like, so we talked about it. Like, um, like, say for a scenario like something bad happened like I'm sitting in traffic or something I'd be like like think to myself like yeah this sucks but there's a lot of people out there who are way less fortunate than that and aren't in a car right now walking everywhere and I'm lucky enough to be in a car it's lucky enough to be stuck in traffic so I try to look at life like that more positive and if something bad happens, I was just, like, try to find the positive side of it.
1: And one more just on that topic. You know, we hear how guys flush a bad outing, a bad at bat in game. <laughs> do you have a way that you go about flushing something that you didn't feel or didn't sit right with you in a game?
5: Yeah, so I kind of have, like, this, like, vision in my head. It's like a water bottle. Like, every time I do get it fills up a little bit, and then, like, Whenever I do bad I kinda of just ignore it, don't let it just, like empty the water out of my water bottle.
3: Okay. And like once I
5: get to the top, it's like the confidence all the way there. So basically wow. like it can't really empty, but it just keeps filling up, you know.
1: I love that.
0: Yeah, it's it's pitching's a fun thing, man. Tell me about the cape last year. You guys were champs. Um, you know, you you won it all at Bourne, you were awesome. a part of that. Um, what were some of the takeaways for you it's it's you you play for a great program by the way at Maryland but there's something cool about playing with dudes from everywhere you know JUCO NAIA top D1 all of it together talk to me about a little deeper about your born experience last year
5: I think I made a lot of close relationships I still talk to a lot of the guys now I still talk to coach Landers to this day I have a great, great relationship with him and it was cool. We had uh, Jared Saltamacchia as our hitting coach, so I got close with him and that was cool. And a lot of people ask me, like, like the Vanderbilts in the world of the world, they're like, are they like cocky or whatever? I'm like, nah, <laughs> like they're actually really cool. It's Cause I still talk to them to this day. And I'm like, they're just really great, great group of guys we had.
0: What do you recall about your travel ball journey? You, you got out there and played a little bit, you played for you know, strike zone. You played for Neb. Neb is a fun program. I know we saw you at a at a couple of PG events. What what for you stands out about playing travel baseball?
5: Um, so I kind of like started with the strike zone. It was like more of a local team. Yeah, it was the people I grew up with. So I played with them, stuck it out, and I went to futures games, got the colleges or whatever, and committed, and then the summer before I got here so summer after my senior high school Sully hit me up from NEB and was like we <laughs> want to play at, at these tournaments and normally like it's pretty expensive to play for that team and mm-hmm. for some of those tournaments so I only played in a couple but that was a fun experience I got that's where I became like to Meshaw too so I got a couple of buddies so to this day from that team so that was a cool experience
0: yeah it's, it's interesting because to me like you're not alone those that have gone and played travel ball after they graduated high school your senior season was different it was tanked um but yeah. dude, Mookie Betts played travel ball after he graduated high school Zach Gallen, that dude played travel ball after he graduated high school right. that had to be nice just to when it made sense for you that had to be nice to get some innings in that way
5: and it was kind of like cuz so junior high school i was hurt and then senior year, covid so after those two years i'm like all right i want to just play a game of any kind so i played on a couple teams i played on evolution that summer too their team in mass strike zone and then NEB. so that was Can fun.
1: you take us back to auburn for a second because I, I have a little mm-hmm. extra respect for the East Coast guys who play in the cold, who have to navigate the yeah. weather and still try to get seen and play yeah. on teams and travel teams. You got to go yeah. somewhere else, right? You can't just stay in your state all the time. Mm-hmm. So take us home and, yeah. and, and bring us around town. Bring us in to, to your home, to your family.
5: Yeah, no doubt. Um, so, like, obviously you said it was cold, and, like, and I remember – when we were like we'd like first day of tryouts we'd always have to like shovel the fields. we'd usually just do the infield but we'd shovel the fields to get it all the snow off so we could have tryouts and we'd practice in the gym a lot and there's a lot of indoor facilities where you can go and rent out a cage or whatever and a lot of time I would just like record video post it on youtube send it to coaches you send a lot of emails to coaches and try to reach out to people instead of like
1: mm. them coming
5: to me and know.
1: if you could give yourself mm-hmm. some advice you know your younger self who maybe didn't know that you'd be where you are right now what would you say to yourself
5: um just have fun honestly because a lot of times i like get pissed about the games and hold that on for a couple of days, but, you know, you only get to play for so long, so I would tell him to just enjoy it and enjoy the ride.
0: T- please, tell me everything you can about your slider. <laughs> My goodness, please. My slider? Tell me all so, about it, the grip, the history. Tell me everything. About, I'm in love with that pitch.
5: Honestly, it just, like, came one day. So, you know, you guys probably know C- Eric yeah. Cressy's, Cressy's, down in florida sports performance yep they also had one in mass and i would go there oh, awesome. in high school and i believe it was christian wonders because i I've had a couple pitching coaches there because they keep going up to the minors and stuff but i believe it was christian wonders i went there one day and he's like try this grip and i tried it one day and it just worked and stuck with that and sometimes like you can see it'll be like it'll be more flat than others my slider and my wrist would be like that instead of like that so I just got to stay focused on that and keep the depth there for it
0: and is it is it is it a little bit on the side of the baseball or are you strictly behind the ball and, yeah. and using the pressure
5: um, no it's on the
0: side um dude my baseball's over there too right handed my baseball's right over there yeah. yeah, let me see if I can have a baseball. Are we allowed yeah, to go we'll get our, our baseball, Danny? Yes. Hold, yes, <laughs> hold on,
1: hold okay. on. We'll keep, we'll keep on. this in. Oh yeah. it. I at? could find <laughs> one faster than both of you.
5: Yeah, that's pretty good. We'll <laughs> right do it. So, yeah, I got It's like I kind of just put my fingers on the horseshoe like that. Okay, and then my thumb is on the like lace right there. Okay. So then it's kind of i don't really like flick my wrist it kind of just fall i kind of just let it fall out and keep a stiff wrist and then that's been working for me throw so so. it as hard as you can yep yeah Yep.
0: wow that's mm-hmm. i mean it was funny you have that famous in the amateur baseball world anyway yeah. outing that was scouted by a pg scout our good friend Vinny servino yeah. which you threw nine of those bad boys and six of them were swung yeah. on and missed and Um, yeah, that's special. Have you always been a little bit harder of a thrower than, than those that were your Um, age or did you bounce in velocity at a certain age? Yeah.
5: So I was always, I was, I was more like a position player when I was younger. What position? Uh, either third base or outfield in high school, I played third.
0: Yeah. Pitching's Uh, way more fun anyway. (laughs) Yeah. So, um, yeah. And then. Was, I threw you yeah, off. I interrupted yeah. you. The velocity. Yeah. Did it all was it all was oh, the, yeah, velo the always there?
5: So yeah. Um and like my freshman year I was like like seventy eight if that. And then I started I started going to Cressy's actually and working out there and then I got a velo jump from my sophomore year and then that went the sophomore winter I was throwing like eighty five and then throughout that year would like 85 to 86 touching 88 and then i went to the futures games and that was in like august i believe and i would touch 90 there and then since then i've always been like kind of a harder thrower than you others yeah
1: of all the the work that you've put in you've navigated injuries throughout high school and college mm-hmm. of all the work that you've put in from your time yep. playing and, and realizing that you could you could do this professionally and make money. What, what part are you most proud mm-hmm. of, of everything that you've done so far?
5: Um, just like showing up day to day, honestly, because there's a lot of people who just like give up because yeah. it's so much work and managing school work with that too. And like, no one in my else in my family has graduated from college. I was I'll be the first to graduate, so it's like working towards what I really want and stuff like that and then I know it makes my parents proud, so that makes me. Well, you've happy. had a
1: smile on your face, I think, the entire time we've had the pleasure of talking to you. you. So I can tell that there's probably yeah. some influence from your parents and and what they've given you. So can you introduce mm-hmm. us to them and and maybe yeah. tell us why it is so important for you to be the first to graduate in your family?
5: Yeah, no doubt. So my mom, she she went to she went to St. Connecticut. For a little bit and then she worked in like retail for a little bit and now she's a manager okay. at Yankee Candle but my dad he was so he went to community college for a little bit when he was like he went first he enlisted in the Air Force wow. and did his four years there and then he worked as a banker for a little bit and then he was like sick and tired of like people telling him what to do so then he started up his own franchise and oh. restoration and it like kind of showed me like the hard work
2: mm.
5: he had to put in, like he was working like some days were 24 hours and like overnights and stuff. So it showed me like how hard he had to work for something that he really wanted and kind of wearing off yeah. on me, I guess. So
1: well, please, please tell him thank you for his service. Yeah. I mean, I, I think that that's mm-hmm. probably the most remarkable thing. I, I, we hear a lot of really cool stories when we get to do this podcast nigel and to hear that that's something that you'll mm-hmm. accomplish um to be the first in your family is is definitely tops i'll say that yeah
0: thank you i appreciate it and, and i must say you literally look like you're in the glow of a yankee <laughs> candle doing this oh yeah interview, like...
5: <laughs> i actually got, got one right here you have to I I mean, my mom sends me that. Is there anything
0: better to put inside a young man's living space than a Yankee candle? are no. not. I'm an we old man. I'm place. an old man, and we're not the best at keeping things <laughs> pristine and clean. So. Wait, what's your favorite yeah.
1: candle? What's the best yeah. smell?
5: Uh, this one. My favorite's the Midset Midsummer's <laughs> so Night.
0: Good. Midsummer's Night.
5: That's She always sends me those ones. One like yeah. <laughs> You're to get
1: some kind of sponsorship.
5: <laughs> those are. Those are kind of more like the. One of the mannish flavors, so yeah. She gets my candle's doesn't. over
0: there. I can't step out
3: shot of shot. So.
0: <laughs> You're yeah. awesome, man. You're awesome. It's it's been Thank a thrill you, to I watch you from afar. Excited to see what happens now with your team, and I hope you guys play to Omaha. Thank you. And then also yeah, to sure. uh, in July when they get together in Seattle. I hope yeah. good things happen for you.
5: For sure. Thank you. I appreciate you guys.
0: There, there there's always uh, things converging at this time of year on this podcast, especially. Because we talk with athletes and we ask them to talk about their pro aspirations. And for the first time, th- this level of athlete, this not this level too, but this generation of athlete is far more transparent in sharing about their dreams and their draft days. But then they button it up a little bit heading into conference tournaments in the postseason because they think, wait, I'd love to win something before I get out. You know, maybe if you're at, at, at FAU, you, you might not win a College World Series or at Maryland, but you never know. You may end up playing your way there, but they want to win something. And so it's fun. It's fun to celebrate postseason in college baseball, but also the individual because it's a one-on-one sport. And we had two great, talented players that are good at that one-on-one sport in this podcast.
1: I think that a, a topic that's been trending a lot lately is the development at the college level. We've talked about it a little bit. I like to talk about it a lot because I do think that it's starting to... Take shape and really be obvious of what can change about a kid when they get to campus and how they can grow within two or three years and, and become a prospect that will get drafted, but then can be ready for the big leagues in a quicker amount of time. And I think for Nolan Shanowell this kid is one of those guys who's been doing what he's been doing approach-wise since he was in high school. His game has just made these minor improvements and minor adjustments, but the game has been the exact same for this guy. And he's been so consistent. If you look and chart the last three seasons in college – Everything you want to trend, his walks are up. His strikeouts are down, but like in a massive way. He gets on base. He can play good at first, a position he learned. Like this kid, I think, is more major league ready. And I think that that's, that's what begins to happen even more now than ever. And Zach Noto is a, another example that has been brought up a lot and should be because he was at Campbell last year. He was playing at Campbell in a regular se- weekend series at this time last year. Now he's a starting shortstop for the Angels. And so for, for Nolan, I think that for Nigel Belgrave, I think that too. I think that the injuries, I think he's overcome so much already. And he just needs a little bit more, but he's playing at a great program. We had Matt Shaw, his teammate on, and, and those guys are friends. They played for the Bourne Braves together. And I just think what you're seeing at the college level, whether it's Pac-12, Big Ten, the Sun Belt, SEC, ACC. The development is next level. And these kids are willing to talk about it all. Like, there's no secrets. And that is different than from years past.
0: Yeah, for sure. It's very, very different. And they do it, they manage to do it with respect for their coach and for their teammates and for their university. Um, They're deeper. uh, You know, a, a guy like Nigel is incredibly deep and in analyzing you know he he gave a lot of credit i I went and looked up that name left-handed pitcher alex robinson uh, a rob as he called him was the man i I wanted to say his full name the man who had such an impact on him Mm. who passed along wisdom alex credit to you because a lot of times people that are mentors or big brothers in a college program don't do it to have their name mentioned so credit to you alex you've got a great legacy in Nigel and what he's uh, about to accomplish. I, I picture Nigel Belgrave in the back end of a bullpen in the big leagues pretty soon. I mean, you think you go through your evolution, he's trying to harness what God has given him. He's been trying he's to lighter. harness. It. Once that's once that's completely harnessed, there's nothing stopping him. So, uh, you know, he 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 you know, he admits like command is going to be something I might battle for a long long time. Well, Justin Upton hit 300 career home runs and his his career has essentially come to an end and was kind of Raw his entire time, trying to to reel things in and had an amazing major league career. So uh, I look forward to to Nigel getting there soon. Subscribe, share it with a friend, Amateur Hour. We're proud of this podcast. We love it. Proud of Cole Turney, you know, sharing a little bit of him from the NAIA level. And best of luck to all of our teams that listen. We know a lot of uh, the programs now listen to this podcast at the college level into the postseason. And uh, we'll be back again. We're dropping as many episodes as we can. A couple of words. What was the big word you used earlier in this show? Malleable. Malleable. Define, quickly. Uh,
1: Willing to uh, bend or adapt to what you need to.
0: God, that's good. That's good stuff. That's good stuff. So that means if you say like, he's as flexible as a steel pole. (laughs) He's not malleable. Is that correct?
1: He's malleable. Yeah. Yeah.
0: Okay, but, okay. In- hey, the, the other words that were trending in this show were the, was the word trending. That trended quite a bit. <laughs> and the word masterclass, along with malleable. So those three words, malleable, trending, uh, and masterclass. Trending was trending in this show. <laughs> episode 42. We'll see you on episode 43. Thanks for listening. Thanks for watching.